I invite you to join with me in prayer. Coming one, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in all our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength, our song, and our salvation. Amen. I'm dreaming of, how would you fill in the blank? <laughs> how many of you immediately started singing along with Bing Crosby and thought, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas? If you thought a little longer though, what would come up for you? Just like Sarah asked the children, what are you dreaming of? What are your hopes? For this season. Advent is a season of paired and often competing images, light and darkness, judgment and promise, waiting and seizing the day, day breaking in and night coming on, endings and beginnings. But it is also a, scene, a season of those binary hard-edged images softening and blending into each other, when even time seems to fold back on itself as God's vision for what lies ahead calls on ancient images from the past and makes claims on us right now. Even in our own lives, Advent calls up both memories of what was Remember the year we forgot the tree was on the top of the car and we went through the car wash? <laughs> True story. <laughs> and hopes for what is coming, an engagement ring perhaps, or, or a birth announcement. And all those visions of both past and future affect how we walk through these days right at our feet. Typically, we have used the color purple for Advent, which is fitting, as it is a blended color. It's used in those between moments of dusk and dawn and dreams. Our Advent wreath has usually been purple, for instance, although the paraments we use for Advent are blue, which is, as Sarah said, the symbolic color for hope. And as Sarah and I talked recently about this upcoming season, we decided this was a good year for us to lean into hope. And so we're going all out blue this season. Hope, wrote the poet Emily Dickinson, is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. The Apostle Paul was a little less poetic, but no less true, when he wrote to the church in Rome, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. When I think about hopes for something and waiting with patience or not, I remember a specific spot in the house I lived in during my first two years of college. Sessions House was built in the 1700s. 
It housed soldiers during the Revolutionary War, and it had a secret staircase that was, <clears throat> that was used as part of the Underground Railroad. As an 18 or 19-year-old, though, I must confess that all that history was largely wasted on me. The place of hoping, however, was of much more significance for most of us in the house. In the middle of the third floor hallway was a window that opened out onto a flat roof known colloquially as Sessions Beach and where on sunny days copious amounts of baby oil were used. <laughs> but from that window, it offered a clear view of the main street coming into town and right by our house. Countless times from that window we would wait to watch for family arriving for a visit or more often for a friend or a sweetheart coming from out of town. We would wait there imagining the time we would share and hoping for all the things we wanted to happen. I am not sure we waited with patience exactly, but at that window we waited and dreamed and hoped for what was to be. There's an important distinction to make, though, as we look out the window of this Advent. Hope, capital H, is different from hopes. Hopes are firmly rooted in our humanity. They come from our own situation and capacity to imagine. I hope the bus arrives on time. I hope you recover from your illness. I hope I'll get cake. I hope the Lions will someday win a Thanksgiving gay dame. Gay dame, gay game. Can't even say it. I hope we don't have another winter of COVID closures. I could keep listing more, and I know you could too. Even grand and global hopes are limited by our experience and our imagination. We hope for an end to gun violence and racial injustice. We hope for all our neighbors to have a place to call home. We hope no child ever goes hungry. We hope Ukraine will overcome Russia's unprovoked aggression. We hope this era of media-hogging politicians will change to one of true leadership in government. So often when our hopes are not fulfilled on our time schedules, it can lead not only to disappointment but to hopelessness. Why even try anymore if what I want never comes to pass? Hopes our human desires, what we want, projected onto the future. But hope, capital H, works the other way. Hope comes from God, and it is grounded in what God's, God wants. It is God's eternal vision projected back onto us now and perching in our souls and singing in the gale and never stopping at all. Hope is God's dream for creation, calling us to be fully awake. Hope isn't a passive waiting around for something to happen. 
It is a way to live now, no matter what is happening. Hopes rise and fall with the way our lives are going. But hope is not contingent on circumstances. Isaiah's ministry took place in the second half of the 8th century BCE, a time as fraught as any with geopolitical conflicts and nations competing for power and territory. The circumstance behind the lesson that Richard read for us was the aggression of the growing kingdom of Assyria as it sought to invade and conquer smaller lands to the west, including Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, where Isaiah lived and prophesied over the reign of four successive kings. Each of those kings felt the threat of war and conquest and responded often by seeking aid from other nations that proved eventually to be enemies rather than allies. Isaiah called his leaders and the people not to pin their hopes on other nations granting them power or protection in the short term, but to live in the hope of God's overarching sovereignty, movement, and purpose for all nations. Isaiah painted a picture, a dreamscape almost, of what that ultimate authority of God looked like, and he called people to live as though that dream was already a reality. I'm going to read again the promise that Isaiah saw, this time from Eugene Peterson's version in The Message, because I think it reads like the invitation it is meant to be. There's a day coming when the mountain of God's house will be the mountain, solid, towering over all mountains. All nations will river toward it, people from all over set out for it. They'll say, come, let us climb God's mountain. Let us go to the house of the God of Jacob. God will show us the way God works so that we can live the way we are made. God will settle things fairly between nations and make many things between peoples right. They will turn their swords into shovels, their spears into hoes. No more will nation fight nation. They won't play war anymore. Come, family of Jacob and Leah and Rachel, let us live in the light of God. Isaiah's invitation to live in the hope of that promise is, as one commentator said, historically absurd. The mountain of the Lord where the temple was built was not the highest peak by a long shot. There has never been a global line up that mountain to receive God's teaching. International conflicts continue. And we keep finding ways to build ever more deadly weapons rather than melting down the obscene amounts we already have to make instruments for growing and gathering food. The day that Isaiah saw coming still hasn't arrived. Clearly, the dream has not become the reality. And yet, 
neither has it lost its power to inspire hope and action to bring God's dream to life. In every generation, there have been prophets who, like Isaiah, keep that shining vision of God's dream in front of us and call us again and again to live in and toward the light of that hope. According to Luke's gospel, Jesus began his ministry reading from Isaiah's vision. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and he sat down. 2,000 years later, and there is still poverty and blindness, oppression and captivity. But Jesus' proclamation and spirit still move us to live in that hope and to work toward its ongoing fulfillment. In August of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and delivered what has come to be known as his I Have a Dream speech. I read the whole thing over again the other day, and I recommend it to you. It is just as powerful and necessary now as it was almost 60 years ago. Using some of Isaiah's own images, King also saw a vision of God's hope for this land, and he sang it to us so that it would keep ringing in our hearts, inspiring our work, shaping our lives, until the day that the dream does become the reality. About 20 years ago, I met a different kind of prophet at a stewardship conference of all things. Brian Sergio is ordained in the UCC, and for the past 30 years, his ministry has been as a singer-songwriter. His songs call us to keep our eyes and hearts on God's vision, and our hands and feet moving to bring that vision to life. He sang many of his pieces throughout the few days of the conference, but one that stuck with me particularly is called Dream God's Dream. And the first verse recalls King's vision, beginning with these words. I'm dreaming of a world where the color of one's skin will mean less than what's within that person's heart. And this is the refrain. Dream God's dream. Holy Spirit, help us dream of a world where there is justice and where everyone is free to build and grow and love and to simply have enough. The world will change when we dream God's dream. The world will change when we dream God's dream. That is the hope Jesus lived and died for.
so that we could keep the dream alive. That is the vision Martin Luther King had that still moves us today. That is the new world being planted and discovered right next door in the children's nature playscape. A world where there is justice and where every child is free to build and grow and love and explore. That's the dream Jeremy Simpson reminded us of a few weeks ago from this pulpit. Not a dream of a white Christmas, but of a multicultural, international, racially diverse, fully inclusive Christmas and new year and each new year and new eternal reality unfolding even here and now in our midst. That is God's hope that we are called to see with our hearts and enact with our hands and feet, even if we don't yet see it with our eyes. Paul wrote, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Patience is a poor translation of the Greek word there, hupomene. We tend to picture patience as sitting back, passively waiting at the window, counting the minutes and the cars as they go by. Hupomene is more often and more fully defined, though, as steadfastness, constancy, endurance, perseverance. There's an active quality to that, a movement. So perhaps for us this Advent, a way for us to translate that line could be, if we hope for what we do not see, we lean into it hard. As we lit the Advent wreath this morning, our spoken word chorus offered the call to worship, that litany. And it captures this embodied Advent hope perfectly. So I invite you to turn in your bulletins to that now and let us say it together responsively as it's printed there. Advent is a time for the human heart to wait while trusting God's eternal time. How long, O Lord, how long? For those waiting for answered prayer, Grant your steadfast patience. For those waiting in the face of uncertainty, grant unshakable confidence in your sovereign provision. For those waiting for justice and mercy to reign, grant a glimpse of your glory in our wounded world. For all of us waiting for God's kingdom to come, Grant us the peace of Christ as we wait, the love of Christ as we act, and the grace of Christ as we speak. We're going to say those last lines over and again each week of Advent. The peace of Christ as we wait, the love of Christ as we act, and the grace of Christ as we speak. That is what God is dreaming of for us. That is God's hope planted in us. Happy Advent, friends. May we keep God's dream alive. Amen.